0: grade, you can line up quietly with Miss Jackie to head to the back. Are you laughing that I said quietly? Yeah, well, you know, I was trying to give as much instruction as possible. Well, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Trace, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be here in the house of the Lord with y'all. Hope you're excited as well. It doesn't sound like it, but no, that's Okay. <clears throat> You know, here's what I think. I think God is doing something at Pillar Church of Oceanside. I think it's exciting, and I think that uh, our enemy wants to do everything he can to distract us from what God is wanting to do. I really think that's what's going on this morning. Because God has given me a message this morning that is kind of, um, I don't know, it's not different, but it's certainly not something that I would tend to go with right off the bat, meaning I usually have, you know, a fairly clean cut set of notes that I'm going to walk through, and the more I talk through this and work through this and wrestle through this with God, it's like, you know what, just, just share what's on your heart, and so I'm going to do that. Um, we're going to walk through the text because that's important and because we need to finish out what we started, but I really do think that God is positioning us here to do something really great, and in fact... The words that we're going to read from 2 Timothy, I think, kind of set the tone, set the pace for what God is trying to tell us as a church and where he is leading us forward. And, and these final words, actually, are some of my most favorite uh, because we see the humanity of one of the, one of the Bible writers, right? The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. That's a big, huge chunk of the New Testament that we have in front of us. This guy is like the hero of faith. He is the author of so many things. Of course, it's inspired scripture. It's inspired by God himself. We learn that in Timothy, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. So it's not that it's just Timothy, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, you know, saying, or Paul saying whatever he wants to about Timothy, but, you know, this is inspired scripture. But I think, and, and, and hopefully you'll be able to, to get a sense of this, um, Paul's really bearing his soul in all of this. The reason we call this series What Matters Most is because this is the last thing that we have documented that Paul ever wrote. And what we're going to read this morning are the last words that the Apostle spoke, essentially, to a mass audience, right? Some, certainly some conversations along the way. But I think it's also important for us to know what is the setting. Whenever we look at Scripture, we need to look at what is happening, what's the context, what's the setting, and why does that play a role in what the words that we're reading mean. And so I want to kind of just remind us, or maybe you haven't been with us, or you're not familiar with what's going on here, just so we have a clear picture of the story. So Paul is in prison again for the second time because he was preaching the gospel, and they didn't like it. Told him not to do it. He's arrested. He's in prison. Now, this is not prison like we think of it, right? Nice little cell with a little toilet, three hot meals a day. This is essentially a dungeon. It's disgusting. It's dark. It's cold. It's wet. It's miserable. It's not a good place to be. So that's one. Not a good place to be. It's awful. Almost everybody has abandoned him. Right? We'll read about that in a minute. But basically, he's on his own. Now, it worked a little bit different back in the day where you could have people come and help you and serve you and, and, and um, come alongside of you in your prison moments. But in this case, almost everybody that was with Paul is gone. So he's essentially alone. He's been convicted of this crime. The trial's already happened. He's going to die. He is literally waiting to go die a martyr's death. That's kind of what we're looking at here. So now, knowing that, knowing that he's on the end of his 30-ish year ministry, he's on his deathbed, essentially, and he has one opportunity to write something down, to say, take this and go do what I've called you to do. Go do what the Lord has called you to do. And so that's, that's kind of setting the tone a little bit, so you have a little bit of understanding of why these words are so significant. Think about your own life. If you had the opportunity, you knew your death was coming and you wanted to write something to those that you loved and you jotted that down, what would matter most? What would you want those people to know and read and continually refer to to guide them as they lived out their lives? And so when the chips are down and your back is against the wall, what matters most is And that's where we are. That's where we are. So, hopefully that makes sense. I want to read before I get too much further along so you're like, hey, what are we talking about here? Let's go to 2 Timothy. It'll be up on the screen as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 6 and go to the end. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus with Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, Remained at Corinth while I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, we're so grateful for your word. God, in these words is truth. You say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. God, these are not just scratches on a page. It's not just some invention of mankind. Lord, these are your words spoken to your creation that we might know who we are in you, but also, Lord, who we are apart from you. Father, we know that some of these things are heavy and challenging and difficult, but we also, as we just read, you will sustain us. You will rescue us from the lion's mouth and you will guide and protect us every step of the way. So I pray that this morning, Lord God, we would gather from your word and from this encouragement, Lord, what it is that you have for us today. What is it you want to speak to us through your word? God, speak through me, I pray. God, that you take anything that I would want to say and get it out of the way, Lord, that I might just speak truth from you directly, Lord God. Use me, I pray. And prepare our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we dive into this, I want to set the tone for us. We talked about the setting and the context for Timothy and why he's, uh, why I keep saying Timothy, Paul, why he is writing what he's writing, the urgency, and you kind of see the, the heart of his message. Over the last few weeks, we have discovered through this letter that the good deposit that's been entrusted to us is the gospel, right? The truth about Jesus, that message going out is what we are to guard. And by guarding it, that means, one, knowing it, two, rehearsing it to ourselves, and then three, what? Spread it, proclaim it, teach it, share it, get get it out there for all to see. So when Paul tells us to guard the good deposit entrusted to us, We've got a mission. There's something about, here, I'm handing that off. You remember early on, if you were with us, we talked about sort of the, the race and the baton and like handing it off to that person. Somebody else is going to carry that message forward. And if you're a Christian in this room, the baton is handed to you. You either have it or you're getting it or you're, you're, you're down the track running with it. But there's an element of all of this that we are taking this, guarding it, and doing something with it. Right? We're not the ones that are going to bury it in the sand and just wait for Christ to come back. <laughs> That's not what we're called to do. We're called to do something with this thing. And here's here's what I want to kind of share as I was talking about the context that we're in. I think the more I grow as a Christian, the more I hopefully see the the world through an increasingly Christian focus, godly focus, I'm coming to realize really how far out of balance things really are. How much I've made this life about me and not about my Creator, Not about the one who saved me, rescued me, redeemed me, forgave me, and commissioned me out into the world. And I think these words have really caused me to evaluate what I'm doing with my life. How am I using what God has given me? Can I with confidence when I stand before my maker say I have run the race consistently? I have kept the faith consistently. I think there are seasons in my life that I can point to where the, no, the answer is absolutely not. I have not kept the faith. I have not run the race. I have stopped. I have set up shop, and I have gone the other direction. There are seasons in my life that I can point to where like, I'm not even sure what my focus is. I, I don't know if I'm running the race right now. I feel like I am, but maybe I'm just fooling myself. And I think there are other seasons where I'm absolutely running with faith Confidently doing what God has called me to do. So it's interesting. These are the final words that Paul gave us. But these are also the final words of Jesus himself. Think about the very last thing that he shares with his disciples. Matthew 28. Let's throw that out there real quick. And Jesus came to them, and came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is Jesus himself speaking this to his disciples right before he ascends back into heaven. So what is this also known as to us? The Great Commission. Right? This is like, hey, church, I've got a plan for you. This is it. Go and preach the gospel. right? Do it. Paul just picks up on that theme. Same thing. Guard the good deposit entrusted you. Preach the word. Run the race. These are all things that are very clear cut for us, are they not? There's no question about what it is that we're supposed to be doing. The questions come in is how and whether or not you personally have taken that baton and are running that race as well. This life as Christians is all about the gospel. I asked my wife if it would be cheesy if I wore my It's All About the Gospel shirt today. She's like, no, it wouldn't be. It was a T-shirt, you know. I already struggled with wearing T-shirts up front, so I didn't do it. But I got this cool shirt that says, "It's all about the gospel," right? And it's it's a good thing, and I like it. But here, this not just a slogan. It's not just a catchphrase. It's not just something fun to say. This life as Christians is all about the gospel. Why? Because eternity is on the line. Eternity is on the line, period. People are dying every day without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and bound for an eternity set apart from Him. That should scare the daylights out of you. It should. I hope there's a little bit of a sense of urgency in my voice today because I think I'm picking up on Paul's sense of urgency because he knows what's going on. Let me build a little bit more context for you. In the state of California, there are 39 million people. There's a lot of people. I mean, it could be our own country, right? Some people probably want us to be our own country. 39 million people in the state of California. Guess a lot of people. Guess how many people are walking around right now with no idea of the gospel message? 35 million 35 million people right now walking around without the saving grace of Jesus Christ and bound for an eternity apart from their creator. So I was at the national or the, the state association gathering this past week and they were throwing some of these numbers out and they said, "Okay, in a kind of facetious manner, it's like, here's what we need to do to kind of address this need. If we were to reach all of those 35 million people, what we would need is 70,000 churches averaging 500 each. 70,000 churches averaging 500. Now, the average church in America is less than 100. In the state of California, do you know how many Southern Baptist churches there are? 2,300. 2,300. Now, of course, there's other evangelical churches as well. There's nowhere near 70,000, I guarantee you, a fraction of them are averaging 500 in service. So, are we going to raise up 70,000 church planters and send them out in the state of California? No. I mean, God can do whatever you want, but I, I don't think so. Right? We led the nation as California Baptists planting churches last year, and we planted less than 100 churches. I'm just trying to lay it out there for you. There is a sense of urgency and desperation in what's going on around us. It's bad. It is bad. So, if we're not going to raise up 70,000 churches, somebody else isn't going to do it, then what do we do? There is a huge problem, a desperate problem that needs a solution, right? So what is our role in that? It's you and me living a life that is all about the gospel. It's you and me making the decision every day to put one step in front of the other to run the race that's been set before you. And I just want to maybe clarify on some things that perhaps you heard over your Christian walk. Like, here's what it's not it's not come to Jesus and he'll give you everything you ever wanted and make your life happy and great and perfect. It's not what it is. It's more like come to Jesus and he'll give you everything. You never knew you always needed. <laughs> and sometimes that hurts. And sometimes it's not fun. But we are loved. We are saved. We are cared for than we more than we could ever know. We are cherished. We are his creation. It's an, it's an amazing thing. It truly is. In him we have all that we need: forgiveness. And hope, purpose, right satisfaction in something than other trying to climb up the corporate ladder or earn this status or this accomplishment. Now, here's the thing, though. We're going to ebb and we're going to flow to and from, away from that goal, that race that's set before us. We're going to know there's seasons of life where we're in it. And there's going to be other seasons where... Maybe not so much, but we're going to be forced over the course of our lives to choose to make the decision to stay the course. Are you going to stay the course? Sometimes that's a a harder decision than we want it to be. I think it's on purpose that Paul uses running the race. I, I surveyed the crowd a while ago, and I'll just ask again, how many marathon runners are in the room? One? All right, so not marathon runners. How many, how many really avid jogger slash runners? Um, three. No, no, I didn't say walking. I said running. Three. Three. And there's Marines in the room, right? <laughs> right? There's just something about running, and if you're not a runner, it's not a good time. No. All right, you can walk fast. It's not the same. It's not the same, although some people walk as fast as others run, but there's a reason why he uses that example. Because it's not easy and it's not fun. But, but okay, can you, if you're running a marathon and you're just running for fun, like you're not going to win right? Is it okay to stop and just walk for like a mile? Of course! What if you have to go to the bathroom? Like, there's porta potty there's, there's, it's okay to stop, pause, catch your breath, grab some water, maybe a snack, a little, quick little power bar, or whatever Lee is, little gels of energy or something, I don't know. <clears throat> yes, it's okay. Most of us, if we were told, hey, you're going to run a marathon next weekend, we would walk probably most of it, but here's what you shouldn't do when you're running a marathon. Stop, go and get in your car, and go home before you finish the race. Right? If you're setting out to do this, it's okay to pause along the way. And our Christian faith and our Christian walk is the same way. We're not going to be pedal to metal the whole way. We can't. We're, that's not sustainable. And so it's okay to know when to pull off the gas a little bit. That doesn't mean we just abandon everything but we find balance and we understand where we need to invest maybe it's a family season where we just need to pour into our family or you're really being challenged at work and you have to spend extra hours there it's a constant reevaluation all right so let's go back to second timothy i just want to pull out five things five encouragements from these closing verses that we can draw on from when we're running our race and perhaps we get a little bit tired. We get a little bit run down. You know, we use the term in ministry a lot of being burnt out. Right? I just, I can't go anymore. I've given all that I had. So what do we see here that can give us some encouragement along that race? Because we need that person on the sideline cheering for you with your little name on a banner. Let's go. Come on. Keep going. Keep running. First one is Paul's example. Paul's example of persisting to the end. I mean, here's a guy that just, mm, just went all the way to the very end. And was his life easy as as a Christian? No, some of you know the story, some of you don't. This guy had it rough, man. Beaten, persecuted, shipwrecked, stoned, Twice? In fact, I want to pick up on one of those stonings. Um, I'm not going to read the story, but in Acts 14, Paul's in Lystra, and it says that some Jews came from a neighboring town to persecute him. That neighboring town was 100 miles away, and in that day, that's not a neighboring town. But they were so adamant about taking Paul out that they traveled 100 miles, and so it says that they stoned him pulled him outside of the city, and left him for dead. Thought he was dead. Done. He wasn't dead. In fact, his crew came around him, kind of said, hey man, you all right? Yeah, let's go. Let's go back into the town. What? You want to go back into the place where they just stoned you? Yeah, let's go back. So they went back into the town. He goes to the next town, preaches the gospel. All kinds of people get saved. He comes around, and guess where he goes? Back to the same place. Why? Because he said, those that we have ministered to need more ministering. (laughs) He understood what was on the line. He faced death and still continued to move forward. How do you do that? It's by rehearsing the gospel so you know what is at stake. You know what's on the line. And in fact, if you go to Romans 9, pull it up real quick. This is super interesting. Talk about knowing what's at stake here. This is Paul pouring his heart out about the Romans. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That's for them, for the lost people of Rome. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off From Christ for the sake of my brothers. Do you see what he's saying here? I wish that I could give you my salvation so that you could know what is on the line. Like knowing what he has and what he's been rescued from, he's saying, If I could, I would give it to you. That's how important this is. Of course, he can't because he knows that it's not possible for my kinsmen according to the flesh. Wow, Paul wow, you must really understand the desperation that millions are facing. So number one, we have Paul's example. Number two, in verse 8, we see that there's a heavenly reward promised. Okay, that's an awesome thing, but that's not why we're in this. right? We know that the crown of righteousness is, will be given to those, the crown of life, it's called various things. We will be rewarded for the good things that we do in service of the Lord, but it's never the motivation. It's never the reason that we do the things that we do. So there's this tension that James talks about. He says, faith without what? Faith without works is dead, but your works don't save you. (laughs) It's like, well, what do you want? You want my faith? You want my works? Yes. (laughs) He says that your faith is completed in your works. Right, it's an evidence of the fact that you have that faith. I like this example. (laughs) Um, So, will call. Right, somebody invites you to a concert. They said, "Hey, man, I got a ticket set aside for you. Just go to will call. Give them your name, and you get your ticket." So, you go to will call. You say, "Hey, I'm here. My name is Trace." Oh, here's your ticket. Off you go. Compare that to, and some of you may not understand this reference, will call versus layaway. How many of you know about layaway? Okay, <clears throat> right? Here's where you go to the store, you collect all this stuff up that you want someday. You give it to the store, you give them a little bit of money, you say, hold on to this, I'll be back for it. And then on the 1st and the 15th, you pay a little bit, you pay a little bit, Pay a little bit. you know, nine months later, you go get your whatever, your Christmas presents. One is... I've done nothing at all. I walk up, I give him my name, and in I go. Think about when we stand before our maker and our name is written in the book of life. We've given our faith and a trust in Jesus and we're redeemed and we stand there and our name is written in there. We've done nothing else but profess faith in Christ and in you go. It's not a layaway version of Christianity where I have to do this and this, and this, and this, and now I've accumulated enough stuff so that when I show up, here's my stuff, here's everything that I've done to get in the door, now give me my stuff, give me, let me in. It doesn't work that way, does it? No. So will we be rewarded for the good that we do in heaven? Yes, we will. But that's not what we're doing. It's not a collecting of things in order to get in the door. It's you show up as if you're at will call. Here's my name. Well done, good and faithful servant, in you come. Number three, people will abandon you, disappoint you, and surprise you. So in this, we see a couple examples of that. Um, Let's see, what do you say? (laughs) Demas, this is verse 10. In love with this present world has deserted me. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Right? So we have these people that will be with us. And then they turn to the things of this world or they get distracted and they bolt. People will fall away from us. People that we are doing life with, that we're encouraged by, they will disappoint us. People are challenging right? We're challenging as human beings. And so our faith is not in people, right? Our identity is not in people. We partner with them and we're in community and we're doing this linked arm in arm. We'll talk about that shortly. But they will frustrate us and leave us. But then there's some that will surprise us, right? Paul here asks for Mark. That's John Mark. Now, if you go back and read Acts 15, I won't pull it up there, but you can go back and read Acts 15. This is Paul getting ready to go out on his second missionary journey, right? And so they're like, hey, Paul, let's go. Let's do this thing. Um, I want to bring John Mark with me. And Paul's like, no, that's not going to happen. Why is that not going to happen? What happened on their first missionary journey? What did John Mark do? He left them. Doesn't say why, but they were on mission, going to share the gospel, and John Mark left, went back home. Now, second missionary journey, is like, hey, let's go get John Mark. Not going to happen. No. Paul says, he's not going with me. I'm not going to read into that, into exactly why that is, but we got to know that people will surprise us because here we see Paul saying a little bit something different, don't we? Look at verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is what? Very useful to me for ministry. Something happened, something changed, right? So we see that some people will disappoint, some people will come back around, and some people will surprise us. I say this as an encouragement because we need to understand that People will ebb and flow around us, and that we can't let their actions determine how we run our race. So that's the encouragement there. Number four, the Lord Himself will keep us and protect us. We see this in verses 16 to 18. It says, we rescued out of the lion's mouth. He will deliver us from evil, right? The Lord will not abandon us, he will always Protect us, always deliver us. But here's the deal sometimes we won't come out the other end looking the same way. All right? Sometimes it will. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're like, who? What? We're in the book of Daniel. We're reading this thing that these three guys would not do what they were supposed to do. And as a a form of punishment, execution, they were thrown into the furnace. You don't want to serve the king? Fine. In the furnace you go. The three of them are in there, and they say there's a fourth one that they see. Now, this is not the point of the story. You can go back and read it for yourself. Essentially, they're dancing around in there. They're not getting burnt up like they're supposed to, so the king opens the door again. They come out. This is a furnace, thousands and thousands of degrees. There should be nothing left of them. It says they're not injured, they're not harmed, there's not a hair on their head out of place, and they don't even smell like smoke. So sometimes you'll be rescued, and you'll be exactly the same as you were, preserved. Other times, think about Jonah. Three days in the belly of a fish. He was rescued. You think he came out the same? I hope not. I mean, three days in the belly of the fish. Now again, this is not the point of the story, but you can imagine being in, I don't know, whatever is in the belly... For three days, it's like disgusting, right? Probably his hair is all gone because of stomach acid. He's like, I don't know what it looks like. Yeah, it was gross, right? But he's rescued, right? He's vomited out of this fish onto the land. He's not the same anymore, I guarantee it. Even if he was preserved, psychologically, he's never the same again, right? So sometimes when you're rescued out of these things, you won't ever be the same. Sometimes you will be preserved and you'll be like, Thank you, Lord, that I don't smell like smoke and I'm not on fire. God will rescue us, He will preserve us. So, as we're running our race and we get ourselves into these situations, or the Lord brings us into these situations, you can count on His faithfulness to see you out of that. Last one we're not in this fight alone. Right, we see that in verses 19 to 22. God created us to be in community. Even people who have no idea about the church, about Christianity, about anything, people want to be around each other. God designed us to be in community. And as we're on mission together, living it out, running our race, we do it together. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. It doesn't work that way. So when somebody tells you oh I don't need to go to church I can just watch on my TV and I'm good I think you are wrong and God says you're wrong do not neglect meeting together as is a habit of some but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need each other in this thing. Some of you have military experience, and you know when you're on that company hike, right, and it's a long one, and you're loaded up with gear, and there's that one person, it's probably not you, because you're at the front, you're, you're hard charging, but there's that one person in the back that's just really struggling, right, they're barely able to keep one foot in front of the other. What do you do? Give me your weapon. Give me your ammo. Give me just start taking stuff off of him so that they can keep on going, right? Lighten the load. We bear one another's burdens in this Christian faith. We have to. That's God's design for it. First Thessalonians five eleven. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That's part of what we are called to do. So we see here as we look up at these final words of Paul, there's there's some incredible things for us to see. One is that we are to guard the good deposit and trusted us, or to run the race set before us, and that we have many encouragements along the way. So my prayer at this point is that we have a, a better understanding. We're seeing things as Paul saw them. There's an urgent and eternal matter at hand. And so we have to play our part in that process. So I'm going to wrap up by doing just that. Paul tells me to guard the good deposit. He tells me to... I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. We talked about that last week. Tells me to do the work of an evangelist. There are many times, even in this short letter, that Paul tells me and you to preach the gospel. So to close, that's what I want to do. I want to wrap up by just preaching the gospel quickly. Here's, Here's what we're looking at. God loves you. Right? He loves you. With a greater, deeper love than we could ever fathom. Like we just don't understand it. But we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And that problem is sin. But we've broken the law. So God is holy and perfect. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would hope so. He is in every way. But He's got a law that He's laid down. In the Old Testament, we knew that it was the Jewish law, the Ten Commandments, right? In Christ fulfilling that, we see that sort of an expansion of that. But we know that there is a right way to live this life according to what our Creator has given us. And we have all broken that law. Every one of us. Even if you didn't know the law was there, you broke it. I'm going to give you a few examples along the way that I think will help kind of just give you some ideas in sharing this with other people, but also maybe clarify some things. If you're riding down the highway, and you're speeding, and the cop calls you over, and he says, hey, you're going 15 miles over the limit, and you're like, well, I didn't see the speed limit sign. Are you off the hook? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, okay, yeah, it's, it's 45. That's the speed limit now. So they're posted every whatever. That's not going to happen. He's going to be, hold on, I'll be right back. Here's your ticket. Doesn't matter if you didn't know about it. The law is the law. It's there, right? So there's no excuse. It's like, well, I didn't know there was any law there's a law. I'm just telling you. I can show you all throughout the scriptures where there's a law. We've broken it, right? Every one of us. I can give you a a few quick examples, but I'll just say, have you ever stolen anything? And I'm not talking like a Mercedes-Benz from next door. Have you ever stolen anything that wasn't yours? Taking a pad of paper from the office? I mean, you can go down the list of all kinds of things. Ten Commandments tell us that we shouldn't murder, right? Jesus comes along and says, if you have anger in your heart towards someone, that's the same thing. you ever been angry at anybody? Thank you for the amen. The rest of us are amening with you. You've been angry in your heart at somebody. You've sinned against God. You've broken the law. Period. Now, what happens when you break the law here in the United States? Are you held accountable? I mean practically speaking, the way it's designed to be. Are you held accountable? Yes, you are. Think about the judge. Let's just say for some reason I leave here, I go rob the 7-Eleven at gunpoint, right? I get in my car, I blow through the red light, I smash into an SUV, and and then I hobble home, and uh, the cops come get me. Take me to the prison, I'm standing in front of the judge, and I say this. Your Honor... I realize that I did those things, and and they're bad. However, I've never done anything like this in my life. In fact, most of the things that I've done in my life have been pretty good. I mean, I volunteered at the soup kitchen. I let people across the street. I helped an old lady unload her groceries in the car. I mean, I've done a lot of good things in my life, and I think I've done enough good where you can kind of sweep this little gunpoint you know, collision thing in the intersection under the rug. What do you think that judge is going to tell you? He's going to laugh. He's going to sentence you probably to a a long sentence in prison, right? The point is, what's that? It's not a trade-off, right? It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. If you've messed up and you've broken the law, you will be held accountable. Well, think about now God the perfect judge perfectly righteous if we've broken his law and we come before him do you think a perfect God who is perfectly just can just kind of sweep your sin under the rug and be like "Ah, it's all right don't worry about it I know you did a lot of good things in your life it's fine you're good don't worry about it what kind of judge what kind of God would he be I'd be a liar be a hypocrite why would you want to serve a God like that The answer is you wouldn't, and I wouldn't. So we see there is a huge problem. And there doesn't seem to be a solution because our good cannot outdo our bad. And there is a penalty, just like if I break the law speeding. The penalty, the Bible tells us, is death. Death meaning an eternal separation from our Creator, in a place referred to in the Bible as hell. Big problem. Requires a big solution, right? I started out this by saying that God loves you more than you could possibly know. So much so that he made a solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is Christ. So when God the Father sent His Son Jesus to this earth. The idea was that He would live a perfect life free from sin so that He could be the ultimate perfect sacrifice for our punishment. Right? Punishment is happening one way or another. God will see His punishment unfold. But because Christ lived a perfect, sin-free life, he could step into our place and literally take the punishment on himself by dying on the cross and shedding his blood. That's what was demanded of him by God. The punishment for sin is death. Christ, you live a perfect life, you die on the cross, you shed your blood And in that moment, something incredible happened. There was a transaction that took place. In fact, the Bible uses banking terminology. It said that God imputed, He gave us the righteousness of Christ. So in exchange for His perfection and His sinless life, He got our sin and our wrath and our punishment. He died in our place, took that sin on himself, and two things happened. One, it satisfied the wrath of God, right? God didn't sweep it under the rug. His wrath was poured out, but it was poured out on Christ instead of on you. And two, it opened the door for forgiveness so that we could repent, that means turn away from that sin and say no more I understand that I am cut off from my creator and I need to be forgiven that doesn't happen unless Christ is there in that moment think of you on this side God on this side and this incredible huge gulf in between you and then put a cross there and see how it bridges the gap it's the only way and so God makes it easy. When Jesus is on the earth and he's walking this out, he, somebody asked, what must I do to be saved? And what was the answer? Real simple. Repent and believe. I already told you what repentance is. That's turning away from your old sin. It's seeing what your sin truly is, knowing that you're under the judgment of the perfect judge and turning away from it and accepting the free gift of salvation. Remember the layaway version of Christianity versus the will call? There's no earning it. There's nothing that we do that brings anything to the table. It's a free gift, and it's by faith. That's the believe part. Repent and believe. Trust in what God the Father did in sending Jesus Christ for our sins, and walk it out. Live it out. Accept that free gift. That is the gospel. That's the good news. Because without bad news, there's no good news. We have to know where we are before God. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, right, you are saved. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you have yet to do that, you are still under the condemnation. You're still under judgment. And when we go to stand before the Lord will be in one of two categories. Our name will be written in the book of life, and he will say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Or, that judgment that was poured out on Christ for those that accept him, will then be poured out on you. It's uh, It sometimes sounds too easy. <laughs> it's like, I don't get it. Like, what? that's all I got to do is just believe in that? Yes. Yes, that that is exactly what this is all about because God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so as we talk about guarding the good deposit and sharing that with the world, that's the message of hope. And you will go out there and you will share that with a lot of people who will walk away from you and want to have nothing to do with it. That's not your concern. We're told to go and preach. We don't save. We don't save anybody. We're not going to argue anybody into the kingdom of God. God does the work. He does the heavy lifting. He's the one that changes hearts. Right? We don't. When I was praying, I don't know if you heard me say this, but there is life in this word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The word of God. This is life. We know this. We preach it. That's what we do. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful, Lord, that you love us the way in which you do. God, that you made a way for us to be reconciled back to you, to be forgiven, to come under from out underneath the curse, Lord God the curse of sin. Lord, as we've spent time walking through your word over these last several weeks, looking at your servant, Paul, we're so grateful, Lord, that you have spoken through him to us that we might know what we're called to. God, that each one of us would just really look inward and ask ourselves a couple of questions. One, are we running the race? Or two, are we on the path to destruction? Are we not even in the race? So my prayer, Lord, this morning is that all those here that have put their faith in you would continue to run the race set before them and would just keep the faith, would stay steadfast, be encouraged by you and your people we can share the truth of the gospel that the 35 million people in this state alone that are walking under an condemnation would someday hear the good news of the gospel repent and believe and walk with hope of eternity with you christ if that's you here this morning if you want to know more about what that looks like, come up here afterwards. We'll, we'll walk that through with you. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll answer any questions that you have. We just want everybody here in this room to know that Christ loves you. Lord, I just thank you so much for all that you continue to do in us and through us. We ask for your help and your strength in Jesus' mighty name.